So I've this is interesting. I met you on the metro, the Expo line, struck up a conversation about because you had a same Brompton. That's right, and I think that was when I was going to UCLA for an event, and that was actually uh, quite a bit before I actually took a job in Los Angeles. I was just coming up from San Diego to attend an event at UCLA. And rather than driving from San Diego to the event at UCLA, I took Amtrak and then the Expo line to the event at UCLA. And I just happened to meet you on the train. And uh, lo and behold, uh, starting at the end of January, I started working in Los Angeles in the San Fernando Valley area. And I decided that rather than have a car here, I would simply use the train and my Brompton to get here and also get around. Mm -hmm. And how you like it? It's interesting. I'm glad I did the bike. I wouldn't have changed that decision, but cycling in the uh, valley has its challenges, but I've uh, coped pretty well with them. I'm not fearful, and I'm getting around very nicely. About a, four weeks ago, I moved to an Airbnb that's on top of a rather challenging climb, and that's actually fun. I look forward to that. It's quite exciting, and the bike is actually cool because there's no more parking spaces at the office so the bike sits next to me at my desk and uh it's really takes attention out to just use the bike to get around and i'm typical day now is about eight miles of riding but about 400 feet of climbing most of which is getting up that hill so it's kind of cool this hill we're talking about is cold water well it's cold water and then something called uh avenida del sol which is really steep Yep. And uh, normally you ride a recumbent. Yeah, normally I have a Bichetta Giro 26 recumbent. I've had recumbents of different types since 1994. I went to recumbents originally because my hands were basically cramping and getting numb on regular bikes. Hmm. But with the Brompton, what I did is I set it up with the, I guess, what they call the H bars, the highest bars. And I'm sitting pretty upright, so I don't have as much problem. I've done about as much as 40 miles in a day on the Brompton. Uh, it's okay as long as you, uh, you know, it, you know, it's not something you, I, w- I would ride in, uh, let's say, uh, 125 miles in a day, which is stuff I have done on the recumbent. But it's it's perfectly fine, and the Brompton's very practical. The recumbent's a little bit too much to take on the train and mm-hmm. and to take leaving the office and all that's a little bit too big. Yeah. So like with the recumbent, you couldn't have done the trip you made to Bayona Creek the other day. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, it would have been more difficult uh, because of the trains. Now it's not so bad on uh, Red Line. Uh, probably a little bit tougher on the Expo Line because it's less room for bikes. But Amtrak, Amtrak is the real problem here because Amtrak has a new policy that says if you're taking a bicycle on Amtrak, you have to basically make a reservation for the bicycle. And since my schedule is in flux, I don't always know what train I'm going to be on. I can't predict it. So with the Brompton, you're not under those regulations. But I got the Brompton about five years ago, mainly because of air travel. And I've discovered that if you are clever with the Brompton, i.e., if you remove the seat because you have the telescoping seat post, put the seat in a different bag and put the Brompton in a bag, you can pretty much take it on board the plane as carry-on on most airlines. 
You just have to be nice about it and not make a big fuss. And I've taken it on British Air to Europe, Virgin America several times, and Southwest Airlines all the time. There was, I guess, in uh, 2015, mostly 2016, I flew about 100,000 miles that year on Southwest Airlines uh, because I was working, commuting cross-country. And I had the Brompton with me, and I used it to get around a lot in the uh, Maryland, in the Baltimore area. And uh, also used it on business trips to Seattle, San Francisco, um, Portland, and Europe, uh, UK, Brussels, and the Netherlands. Netherlands is pretty nice to ride in. Well, yeah. Imagine, yeah. Yeah. I've been there twice. Yeah, been there about three times. Yeah. So what? And you think that? the infrastructure, like you, so you, in all these places you've been riding Bromptons, you you have thoughts about what the best is, and why. Well, I mean, aside from the paradise. Well, okay. Netherlands is very good because if you know the history of that, what happened there is, uh, in the seventies, they started seeing a real increase in the death of children, and someone created a movement called "Stop the Kinder Mort" or "Moot Mord." Stop the Kinder Mord which means stop the children killing. And they had enormous protests, uh, and they convinced the government to do something about it. And their goal was to make it so that children could ride their bikes to school or anywhere they wanted, young children, without any uh, harm. Mm -hmm. And so they instituted a a complete bikeway system. But what I would tell people is very important. You can't just lift a piece of what happens in Amsterdam and make it work. You have to consider everything about it, and there's a lot to it. Those bikeways or bike things have separate traffic signals. Uh, The drivers are highly incentivized to treat cyclists with respect. Two reasons. One, the most of them are cyclists themselves. That makes a difference. And two, they have this law called strict liability. It's sort of like what happens with cars. If you're driving a car and you rear-end someone, you're assumed to be at fault, if you do that. In the Netherlands, if you hit a cyclist, unless the cyclist did something really bad, mm-hmm. the driver is assumed to be at fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I was riding there, the drivers were deferential. They were like very polite and probably because most of them were cyclists, but they were very polite and it was very easy to get around. Yes. San Diego, where I live, uh, in North County, Encinitas, Carlsbad, is got pretty decent cycling facilities, and it's partly because of activists in the community. We weren't that great, let's say, seven years ago, but over time, things were improved. We took an entire lane off of uh, the Coast Highway in Lucadia and turned it into a bike lane. It was an actual an entire car lane. They actually removed the lane from the road. And elsewhere, they did things like put up bicycles may use full lane signs with shadows in the road, they did bike lanes that were pretty well done. They they did their best. It's not Amsterdam, but it's it's really good. Mm-hmm. Here in the valley, it's kind of schizophrenic. You have like pieces of brilliance. Like there's this incredibly beautiful bike trail along the river that starts um, just north of Ventura Boulevard and just east of Coldwater Canyon. It's gorgeous. You ride it. And it ends in a dead end that is completely fenced in. Mm. It's obviously a lot of work went into it. Uh, recently, they, they basically chained up the uh, entrance so people weren't making the same mistake. But you find that along the river several times. 
paths that exist for short periods of time and just end. It's not unified. Or you'll find a bike lane, like, for example, on um, Tahunga, that's right next to the parked cars. That's no bargain because, as I always tell people, the door zone is for loading and unloading only, no cycling. So what you have to do is you have to take streets like Ventura Boulevard. And the secret there, some very clever people out of Orlando created something called Cycling Savvy. And basically what it means is this. If there's not enough room for you to ride in that lane and the car to be next to you in the same lane, you really have no choice but to control the lane. This is counterintuitive, but it works. I have been doing this here on Ventura Boulevard like I've done in other cities. I have a rearview mirror attached to my sunglasses, and no one's honked at me. No one's bothered me. No one's complained because they clearly can see what I'm doing. They clearly know I'm taking the lane because there is enough room, and they're reasonably courteous, even though in the su- in the morning they're absolutely in a panic rush. Uh, the traffic is amazing. I lived in Los Angeles two times in the past. I lived there in the early 90s in the beach cities, Manhattan Beach, and I lived in the 80s in Redondo Beach and El Segundo. Uh, the beach cities have the giant beach bike path, and that's pretty much what I rode back then, but the valley is a very different animal. We don't really have unified bike facilities. We have pieces of them all over the place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why is that? Well, I think it's partly because uh, I've been talking to people, and I'm not a native, so I could be completely and utterly wrong here, but I'm hearing it's a lot of not in my neighborhood, not in my backyard. So the trails are there, but they're not connected. Someone from the um, Los Angeles Bike Coalition told me that there's this thing called Measure M. Am I getting that right? Mm-hmm. And he believes that with Measure M, they're going to start connecting these bike lanes, trails together. And mm-hmm. like I said, there's pieces of brilliance there. The, the ride along the river, I showed you a picture of that earlier today, is gorgeous. And, and I can see that really working out well. That river parallels Ventura Boulevard. It could be a really cool commuting route if done right. I think the other issue is what also happened in Orange County along the Santa Ana River Trail. There's a couple of other river trails along this river in the valley where there are homeless encampments. And I think people are very upset about that. That's a huge problem that's difficult to solve. Uh, I have my own opinions on that. Uh, I think it can be solved. But I I know in Orange County, I used to ride that trail, the um, Santa Ana River Trail, with uh, my children when they were younger. And I understand it was completely taken over because these people had nowhere else to go. You know, the cost of living has gone up. Wages haven't followed. People are literally on the street. It's kind of sad. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, um, that, yeah. There's, right. also, there's also not a lot of bike commuters here. You don't see that many people riding a bike in the morning going to work. In, in the valley, mm. I understand in downtown Los Angeles you see a lot of people. And I'm mm-hmm. sure in the beach cities – you see a lot of people riding bikes to work, but I don't see a lot of people on Ventura Boulevard or uh, Mor- or um, Moreland or Moore Park, whatever. Moore Park. Moore Park. I don't see a lot of people on bikes, very rarely. And so I wonder if you're hearing any uh, – right now it seems like there a lot of people are getting really fed up with cyclists getting hit and there not being really any – Repercussions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, in America, the, the weapon of choice, if you want to kill someone, is probably a car. I hate mm-hmm. to say that. And I and, and this is why I ride the way I ride. I, I know it's counterintuitive, but over the years, 
what I discovered is the one the last accident I had was because I was hugging the right side and I got sideswiped. Hmm. Um, you you can't put yourself in a situation where the driver believes they can safely pass you in that lane. If there's not enough room, and I know I will, you'll probably get calls or messages. Um, it's highly non-intuitive, but you have to sort of get, place yourself in the middle of the lane until there is time and room for you to safely ride to the right. So along Ventura Boulevard and Studio City, uh, I'll be taking the lane, then I'll see that there's a whole bunch of space where there's no parked cars. I'll look behind me, I'll move over, let cars go past, and then before I go back into the lane, I'll use my mirror, which is attached to my glasses, make sure there's room move over, you know, to the middle of that lane and all that. And by keeping an eye on the drivers behind me, I have a better sense of what's going on. I can see if there's a problem about to occur and I can respond accordingly. This is not like riding in Amsterdam, obviously, but um, it's necessary if you're going to have to ride these roads. And like I said, I'd made the decision not to have the car up here because it's there's no more parking spaces at work. And where I'm living, there's very few parking spaces on the hill. The bicycle is much more convenient. And besides, I get kind of sad if I don't ride every day. I'm one of those people that has to ride almost every day. Yeah. And so you were telling me how you lost a lot of weight riding. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting story. I was a cyclist in college and before that. Uh, I was on the cycling team at the University of Pennsylvania. And I went to grad school and put on a lot of weight, mainly because I was stupid. Didn't realize that you couldn't eat 7,000 calories a day when you weren't riding 300 miles a week. <clears throat> so I put on a lot of weight, and the weight just stayed on and crept up. And then finally, I uh, changed my diet drastically. But then in 96, uh, my youngest son was born, and I decided I would like to be around for his graduation. <laughs> and I was well over 300 pounds. So I started riding to work, and that was a uh, eventually that ended up being a 33-mile round trip including climbing Torrey Pines every morning. I did 5,000 miles in uh, 96 of cycling. I did 8,000 for the years that followed until I stopped working there. And I dropped about 150 pounds. That's not as big a deal as it seems. I'm a big person to begin with. The bigger problem is this, and this is something that people don't know. Uh, The odds of keeping a weight loss of that magnitude off for more than five years, according to New York Times and other articles, is less than surviving uh, terminal lung cancer, stage free lung cancer, or something like that. It's uh-huh. less than a few percent. And the reason is, is that your metabolism has changed. Uh, you've created what's called a fasting metabolism. You'll never be able to eat like you used to, and you have to exercise as well. The diet is probably more important than the exercise, but I can't imagine not riding in any way, so I do both. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm went. I was a pescatarian for decades, that is fish and vegetables, and then I dropped fish about seven years ago because the quality was falling apart and I realized it wasn't really sustainable anymore anyway. We're mm-hmm. overfishing the world. Mm-hmm. So I went pure vegan, and obviously I'm not wasting away. I'm a pretty strong rider and not a small man, pretty big man. And uh, here I am 20 years, let me see, 22 years later, and I've managed to keep almost all that weight off. Um, Always dieting, though, always trying to lose more weight. And uh, that's an achievement, and I think the cycling played a big part in that. Yeah. Yeah, so, and um, what, you want to talk about what you do? 
Yeah, well, first of all, my career is interesting because when I was in graduate school, I started doing video games, and I basically have done everything in the video game industry for 35 years. I've been all over the place. I was an independent game designer. I did some of the first Macintosh games. Um, I went to Activision in 88, and eventually, yes, eventually I became the vice president of Activision, vice president mm -hmm. of technology. I left that in the 90s because I wanted to do children's software, and I did a startup in San Diego that did software for schools for children called Lightspan Partnership. Um, and then in the early part of 2000, I got involved with mobile games. I actually share design credits on the very first iPhone game ever released, which was released the weekend the iPhone shipped before there was an app store. Mm -hmm. And I did that pretty much recently. And then there was a time when I was basically helping out the marketing on a business software company. And then early this year, people I'd worked with a long time ago, they have this company that's involved with products that I am not allowed to talk about, but eventually I believe these products will save millions of lives, so I totally believe in it. And because of that, I decided to leave the cycling paradise, which is Encinitas and Carlsbad in San Diego, and come to the valley. Uh, I've never lived in the valley. As I said before, in Los Angeles, I used to live in the beach cities, Manhattan Beach, Redondo Beach, El Segundo. And I did it because I believe in what these people are doing, and I am doing something completely different. I'm a researcher. I research technologies and science. I actually have a degree in physics, so I tell my kids, yes, I'm finally using my physics degree for something that involves physics, and that, and it doesn't involve things flying through the air in video games. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. And, you know, they're... What's nice is everyone in the office is so happy that I'm riding the bike there because they don't have to give up parking space. And the bike mm -hmm. sits right by my desk, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, you're probably the only one who commutes by bike. Right? Probably the only one who commutes by bike. Some people walk. Some people are close enough to walk to the office. A lot of people are – there's a lot of uh, vegetarians and vegans there. A lot of people are into health. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people who eat a lot of meat. <laughs> it's, it's funny at lunch. Um, I think today we had uh, uh, well the other day we had pizzas and I had they had for the vegans they had the pizza with the Daya cheese which is fantastic stuff and there are people were eating pepperonis and all that it was kind of cool you know it's it's fun to actually have the banter back and forth everyone res respects everyone else and I understand why it's I'm not a uh, preachy type of person everyone has to make their own decisions uh, based on their health and their view on the world um, I think one of my children is mostly vegan. I have two free children. One of them is mostly vegan. The other two are absolutely carnivores. Um, their choice. Uh, can't. I don't judge them. I just think you have to make your, your own choice based on your health and your beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you have to be an example, too. I mean. Yes. Yes. Uh, do you think that there's a way in which biking and and veganism are sort of a way of living out your values that, that are similar? Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of environmental, uh, my wife, Leah, worked for the EPA early in her career, and we're both very aware of climate change and environmental problems. Uh, the cycling is good for the environment because you're not driving, you're not polluting. But in terms of the environmental impact, veganism has a greater impact than even riding the bicycle because the one of the largest sources of climate-changing gases is animal ag agriculture, not just the animals themselves with methane, but also the, the, the clear cutting that occurs in order to feed them and all the runoff into the uh, Gulf of Mexico from the fertilizer and so on and so on. So animal agriculture is a major 
contributor to climate change. It, it's on the same magnitude of all transportation. Mm. So if you care about climate change, uh, eating less meat. And, you know, I say eat less meat. You, know, don't, you, don't, you don't have to give it up if you really love it. Have it one day a week. Have it two days a week. Have less mm-hmm. of it. Turn it into a condiment, you know. Um, it was actually video games that got me on this trail because I was working on a project and uh, they needed to do a key man policy on me for this project way back in the early days of the video game industry in the 80s before I even went to Activision. And they said I had high cholesterol and some problems. So they sent me to Pritikin, which used to be in Santa Monica. And that yeah. sort of got me kicked off on this kick. It took me a long time to actually lose the weight, but it got me eating healthier. And then later on, there's some really good documentaries and stuff on on the food issues like, uh, you know, um, forks over knives and other ones are really excellent. But I knew about that stuff for years. And uh, my wife is is not as strict as me, but she's pretty much vegan almost all the time. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. We cook cool things. Like we eat stuff like nopals, which no one eats, which is cactus. Yeah. We love cactus. You know, we like portobello mushrooms, you know, stuff like that. I actually don't. The only food I miss <laughs> is cheese. Cheese is the thing I miss the most. Well, yeah. And that's why tonight we had dinner and they had that incredible uh, cashew-based cheese. That was really, really sweet. Yeah. 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 I mean, is that is that as good as cheese? Well, what do I know? Yeah, it's, it's as good as cheese. Actually, it was very good. Yeah, cheese used to be hard. I hate the... Uh, Sort of chemically soy-based cheeses that obviously have a million – the ingredient list is a million chemicals. I don't want to eat that. But the cheeses now, some of the vegan cheeses like the mm-hmm. the, the nut-based cheeses or the tapioca-based cheeses, they're, they're pretty close. It depends what you like. Um, it's really hard when you travel in Europe because they have incredible cheeses there and they're throwing them at you. But right. I resist. The good news is I'm not – I can eat all the – I don't care about bread. I don't care about gluten, and that's useful because in Europe, that's what you end up eating a lot of when you're traveling because the bread is so fantastic, you know. Right. Yeah. So um, Brompton's good for Brompton. travel. Brompton's good for travel. Uh, throw it in, your, in the overhead. If You said something. The trick. Yeah. The, the trick, yeah. You take so, the seat post. Out. Yeah, so I have the telescoping seat post, which is necessary if you're tall, but it's a good idea anyway because seats are valuable and you want to protect your seat if you have a leather, leather saddle like I do. I'm sorry, I'm using a lever saddle, so I'm not that pure, I mm-hmm. guess. But the um, I take the seat off, fold the bike really small, put it in a bag, and I can take it on airplanes most of the time. Like I said, uh, Southwest Airlines, Virgin America, British Air. Yeah. They they have a policy, or is it just? They... It's just on a case by case basis. Smile, act nice, mm-hmm. act like you know what you're doing. If they ask you what it is, tell them it's a mobility device. Now, if they don't take it, the next step is to say. Oh, can you take this with the with the strollers? This is a mobility device. Will you put this with the strollers? Mm-hmm. And the thing there, if that happens, you should be taking off those clamps, those two clamps that, that that's screw on and clamp the frame together. You should remove those and put them in a baggie, uh, maybe with rubber bands to hold them together because they can get hurt. But the rest of the bike is pretty stout. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have that happen, but you should be prepared for it in case it does happen. Okay. So when I went to Europe, for example, I did take the clamps off and put them in a bag because I didn't know what British Air was going to do. And one time, I was in San Francisco, and the equipment that Southwest normally runs, which is a newer 737, was bad. And so they took us on this old plane, and I said, and I haven't flown a lot over the years, I said, this plane has to be from the 80s. And the woman said, yes, this plane is from 1988. And I was worried that the Brompton wouldn't fit, but it fit perfectly. It just fit Snug as a rug in the overhead compartment, no problems, no drama. And 
in 2016, I flew 100,000 miles or more, and the crew, since I was on the same flight back and forth all the time, everyone knew who I was. They knew about the bike. They didn't care. In Europe, the trick there is when you go through Heathrow Security is to mention that it's a Brompton, the best-selling bike made in the U.K. That works like a champ. They mm. care about that. Mm. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. The other thing about the Brompton is the bag system is magnificent. Bromptons were, I don't know if you noticed, but the Brompton was first sold in 1979. It was a, initially a project by some student in college. He started working on it in 76, and he, the, the bike he started building in 79 has evolved to the current bike, but the basic design is the same. It's an extraordinarily refined bike. Everything that, that could be a problem has been worked on. And I've made some changes. I used rubber pedals rather than the standard pedals because I don't want to scuff my shoes. I should note that when I ride the Brompton, I'm riding them in what I would call casual office attire. I'm not wearing bike clothes. I'm wearing good shoes and, you know, black jeans and, you know, sweater and all that. Uh, it's not that hard to do. You know, I use a little uh, uh, Velcro strap for my pants so I don't get chain grease on them. And that's basically it. I almost always, unless I'm doing a ride on the weekend, I almost always ride the Brompton in just regular street clothes. Mm -hmm. It's pretty easy to do so. And hills on a Brompton you were talking about. Well, the Brompton has a low gear of 29 gear inches. It's not, you know, you can't do much about that unless you really go modify the bike. And so (laughs) I knew this, this, the new Airbnb I had, I had a couple that were really nice, but they weren't, I couldn't book them for enough time. So I knew this one was on top of a hill. I knew the hill was a big hill. And I'm riding the Brompton with the bag, with the laptop and all that in, in, it, in it. And I'm riding a huge backpack that has the waistband and the chest band, probably 20 pounds of stuff in the backpack. And we hit this hill. And I realized this is a wall. And the good news is where I live in Carlsbad is a major technical climb. The climb I live on in Carlsbad is called Algo Road. If I go down on the... Bichetta recumbent without using the brakes, I will break 50 miles an hour on that hill. It's that long and steep. It's a mile long, and it's about 14%, 13% grade at the steepest. This hill, though, is well over 20% grade. But it's a Brompton. You're standing up on it, so you can just stand on the pedals. So you stand on the pedals, and you just suffer your way up there. But luckily, in the last three weeks, I dropped eight pounds just from doing that hill. So... Uh-huh. I'm all happy about that. That's in, nice. In how long? Three in weeks? In three weeks, yes. Eight pounds in three weeks. Eight pounds in three weeks. But most of that's glycogen. So, you know, if you know weight loss, that's how it works. Oh. You lose f- fast initially because this is technical. But glycogen is a sugar that your body uses for short-term energy. The more you can store, the more you can ride about bonking before you have to eat. And glycogen binds to water. So it's about five times heavier than fats are per calorie because of the water binding. This is all technical. So um, I think it's uh, normally a pound of fat is 3,500 calories, but 3,500 calories in glycogen would be several pounds uh, of weight. So you initially, when you, when you, if you're just in balance and you start doing exercise and eating a little less, you'll lose a lot of glycogen in the first week or so, and then the weight loss will taper off. You never will really want to lose more than about two pounds a week. I am a freaking expert because hmm. all since I lost that weight, I'm always constantly – bouncing around a little bit. I never get nearly as heavy as I was, but never quite as light as I want to be. And one of the things I think you have to accept with a large weight loss is that dieting is your life. I don't know anyone who has lost a significant amount of weight and kept it off for more than a decade 
who isn't really serious about it because like in that show, The Biggest Loser, almost all of them gained the weight back, mm-hmm. almost every single person wow. because that's how evolution works, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Brompton's good bike. Yeah. Best folding bike there is? Well, it depends on what you're doing. If you don't care about folding speed, how fast it folds and unfolds, mm-hmm. there are, and you don't care about compactness, there are faster folding bikes. Bike Friday has some really beautiful bikes. They're really good road bikes. They're probably faster. Um, they're very, very well made. Uh, they're equally expensive. Um, the Brompton's not cheap. But what's good about the Brompton, particularly let's say you're in San Francisco. Okay, you're in San Francisco. You got the bike. You've gone to your conference. The bike is with you. You had it in coat check. You unfold the bike. You ride to a restaurant. You don't have to worry about it. You can fold it up in a couple seconds. You can take it into the restaurant. It's all there. You never have to leave it out of your sight. It's really convenient. Some of the overfolding bikes take a lot more work. Um, but on the other hand, you have bikes like the Han, where they have some very much less expensive bikes. And if you're just commuting and you're just putting in your office and you can take the time to fold it and you don't care about putting it on airplanes, I think the Brompton sort of is the only folding bike I know of that people are sneaking onto airplanes like this. You can get away with a Dahan, you can get away with a Citizen, you can get away with a host of folding bikes. There is one other problem, though. Bike Friday and Brompton can handle a big rider and bags, a lot of bags. I think the, the weight limit on a Brompton is close to 250 pounds. A lot of these bikes are lighter, but they have weight limits of 220 or 200. You have to be careful. Like the turn, you know, the turn's a nice folding bike. So there's a lot of things you have to consider. Um, the Brompton gearing is, like I said, kind of limited. I have a six-speed Brompton with a lower gear option, but it's good enough. And uh, people I know have taken Bromptons all over the world and toured on them extensively. It's not going to be as fast as your road bike. I feel comfortable on the Brompton on a flat road at about 14, maybe 15 miles an hour. On the Bechetta recumbent, it's more like 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 miles an hour. It's a fast bike. Um and a road bike would be about as fast, you know, a good road bike. But, you know, mm-hmm. convenience. Like I said to you at dinner, if you're going to have one bike, it would be the Brompton simply because of the versatility of the bike. You could use it for anything. You could go, if you wanted to ride up to San Francisco, you could do it on a Brompton. It would, you know, take longer, but you could do it. If you wanted mm-hmm. to go to work, you could do it on a Brompton. If you wanted to uh, go grab the, you know, the Brompton's almost like a cargo bike. You know, you got these this bag system that's right. magnificent. You can do so much with it. I've got a friend who has Brompton, and he has a box that mounts on the top bar, and he puts his dogs in it. And, you know, it's, 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 yeah. it's hilarious, you know. I've seen that. The, yeah. But you need a small dog. He has small dogs, yeah. Yeah. There's even a folding trailer called the Travoy or something mm-hmm. that he uses. You know, he's got this trailer that connects to the post that folds up, and it's a real achievement. Yeah. yeah. Good design. Uh, 35 years, 36 years of refinement. Mm-hmm. Very British. I mean, it's the fold, for example, you have to basically pay attention. Everything on the bike requires a little bit of mechanical finesse. You don't tighten the, the t- clamps too tight because that would hurt it. You don't, you know, you don't, you just have to treat it with respect. It's, it's, it's got a British personality. If you ever worked on cars, you know, you know what I mean. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not like, um, like on the Dahan, the clamps are very straightforward and they work and da da da. But this one, you have to sort of think about it. On the other hand, though, Bromptons hold their value. They last a long time. Mm-hmm. They're very durable. 
I'm probably going to break the bike tomorrow by saying that, but what the hell, you know. Uh, I had one thing happen to me, and I'll mention, I, I said I wasn't going to, but this hill was so steep that my rear wheel wasn't quite, the spokes weren't quite as tensioned as they could have been, and I was actually loosening a couple of the spokes from the torque on the wheel. So I had to just tighten them up. That was it. You know, I, I've worked on bikes, so I know how to do that. But that was kind of funny. You know, I, I knew what was happening after the fact, and I go, well, that's, you know, because you go to the spoke and you can turn the... Uh, the spoke nipple easily. You can turn the spoke uh, re- nut very easily. You go, well, that's interesting and solved, you know. Hmm. I, I can't even get the rear tire off. If I get a flat, I'm going to get uh, in my car. Yeah, if I get a flat, I'll probably, I could do it. Um, I have a patch kit. I have the tool kit. That, have you, you ever seen the Brompton tool kit? It goes inside the tube. Right. No, well, oh. you told me about it. it. It's awesome. You have it. Yes, it's yeah. awesome. I have marathon tires on the Brompton. Yeah, me too. And when they wear out, I'm going to put Marathon Plus tires on the Brompton. You know what those are? No. So Marathon makes a tire called the Marathon Plus. It's as puncture-proof as any tire that can be. It's slower, but who cares at this point? You won't notice the difference on the Brompton that much. But I had them once on a recumbent before I had this recumbent, and I did a a brevet, which is the uh, randoneering thing where you do 200 kilometers or more. In this case, it was a 200-kilometer ride. It started at SeaWorld and rode to Laguna and back. Um, and everyone flatted on the ride over and over again. And at that time, I was riding Marathon Pluses because I was commuting at night. And I did not want to get a flat at night. So I had these Marathon Plus tires on this recumbent, big, fat Marathon Plus tires, heavy as hell. And at the end of the ride, the 200-kilometer ride, I didn't flat. I get off the bike, and I look at the tires, and there's forns all over the tires, probably 20 or 30 goat head forns stuck wow. into the tire, and they didn't puncture it. And eventually I sold those tires to someone who had an e-bike, electric bike, and wanted the tires because I put on faster tires. And he said, you know, I, I got your tires, and I've been pulling forns out of them. There are forns all over them. They haven't punctured it, but they're all over the tire. And I go, yeah, that's the way it is because we had a problem of goat head forns on this one couple stretches of roads. The marathons are good. They're pretty puncture resistant, but... Uh, the pluses are – in fact, mistakes I made when I bought the Brompton that I would not make again. I'd get the Dynamo Hub, the generator hub oh, yeah. with the lights. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I had done that. I, I was an idiot for not doing it. I didn't think I was going to ride that much at night. I do a lot of nighttime riding, so I'm dependent on these USB chargeable lights. I'd much rather just unfold it and ride, and that would be possible with the, uh, with the um, generator hub. And uh, powers your own your own power powers. Yeah, and I had that on a recumbent of mine before this recumbent. The one that had the Marathon Plus is the was a different Bichette. It was a it was called a Strata. I had that, and I had uh, the I had the Shimano Dynamo Hub, and I had to set up to keep the phone charged. It was pretty sweet. Um, yeah, I'd recommend that. In fact, I probably will upgrade the bike and put in a Dynamo Hub and the Dynamo Lights <clears throat> before too long because. I even think when I get moved up here and I have the recumbent up here, I probably won't use the recumbent to ride to work because it'll be too much of a pain in the neck to bring into restaurants and then you're locking it outside and you're wondering if it's going to be stolen and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll probably use the Brompton for commuting and use the recumbent on the weekend for fun, like, you know, riding down to the beach towns or whatever, you know. Yeah. Doing wow. those 200-kilometer crazy rides. Yeah. Yeah. And you use Strava? I use Strava. Strava, warning to everyone – Three days ago, they broke a feature in Strava with the latest iPhone update. Be aware of this. The resume feature will not always work for you. Uh, I'm sure they're fixing it. I let them know that this happens. <clears throat> I haven't been in mobile apps for a long time. 
it can be very complicated to update an app and do it properly. So there's a problem in the latest Strava. Just be aware of it. All right. Well, keep us updated on, uh, you know, it sounds like you, you're probably in a position to know about uh, bike gadget technology. Yeah, I mean, you know, the bike is a tool for me. I'm using it to get to work. I'm using it to go shopping. Even at home, I use the bike to go shopping, even with that. The hill, so it takes me 15 minutes from Ventura Boulevard to where I live, climbing that hill. But where I live at home, it's more like 25 minutes of climbing to get to where I am. So very few people ride that hill. And so every time I do an errand, like if I go to the farmer's market, take me half an hour to get to the farmer's market, it will take me 50 minutes to get home. You know, because it's downhill to go to the farmer's market and then back up the hill. So, yeah. Kind of fun. All right. Well, we said this would be half an hour. It's been amazing. It's yeah. been, thank you. Yeah. William, fun, um, fun, fun. Yeah. The Brompton is a great folding bike. It's worth the money. Uh, thank you, Brompton, for building it. Mm-hmm. And I hope that Los Angeles and the bike people in Los Angeles work with, you know, the, the organizations to improve the cycling here. It can be a lot better. Just go around the world and you can see what we're talking about. Yeah. And so uh, this is my identical uh, bicycle twin except his is, has more, uh, has different parts. Different parts. All right. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 